It's time for Tycoons of Small Biz, spotlighting the true backbone of the American economy, the true tycoons of business in America, the owners, founders, and CEOs of small businesses. The show's hosts, Austin Peterson and Landon Nance, are registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Backbone Planning Partners is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Now let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons. Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to Tycoons of Small Biz. Got a really, really great guest today. Excited to have one of our uh, now going to be regular co-hosts and partners of the show, Ryan Weissmuller, going to be joining us today. But uh, if this is your first time listening, let me tell you a little bit about who we are and, and why we started Tycoons. So I believe, and our amazing producer might be able to chime in here to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think next week we've got our 100th episode. So we recorded our first episode, Cinco de Mayo of 2020. We record uh, weekly for the most part. And we started Tycoons of Small Biz so that we could we could give an opportunity to small business owners to prop, prop, prop them up, to give them some, um, you know, a platform to come on, talk about themselves, you know, their story, their business. And, you know, we truly believe that small businesses are the backbone of the American economy, you know, hence uh, the name of our everyday business, which is Backbone Planning Partners. So um, with that, um, we've got Jeremy Ryan Slate today on the show. And uh, I can tell you that this is going to be a great show because talking with him for 60 to 90 seconds, you can, uh, you just, his energy is infectious. So uh, I have no doubt this is going to be a great show today. Really excited to be co-hosting today with Ryan. So first of all, uh, let me just welcome my, uh, my wonderful co-host. No, it is not Austin. And yes, we are, we are celebrating his absence today. No, no, I'm kidding. He's actually out of town. Ryan, thanks for being here and uh, looking forward to uh, co-hosting with you today. I think it's been a while since we've been on here together. It's been a little while. Excited to be back and uh, uh, happy to be here in, in Austin's absence and certainly looking forward to chatting here with Jeremy. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Like I said, we, we've got uh, Jeremy Ryan Slate on, uh, on the show today. Um, I, I would go as far as to say he is a, a professional podcaster. And so uh, really, he's the one that should be probably, you know, hosting this show. So unbeknownst to Jeremy, we're actually just going to flip the script here, <laughs> we're pass it over to him, and he's going to interview us uh, for the next hour. So what have we Jeremy, done wrong so far, Jeremy? <laughs> well, now we're going to get to the rest of the story. <laughs> but Jeremy, uh, really excited to chat with you. And thank you so much for being here today. Hey, guys, I really appreciate you having me. I I'm stoked to chat. And uh, I, I get to meet my second Weissmuller today, as I used to play baseball with a guy named Brian Weissmuller. So this is my second Weissmuller. Wow. How about that? <laughs> right on, right on. Jeremy, you've got a really interesting background. And I love the fact that as part of your bio, you shared your story, right? Your true story, which consists of successes and, and failures and doing things right and doing things wrong and learning and growing and 
So I, I really appreciate that as part of a bio because it gives us a much better sense of kind of how you got to where you are today. But before we talk about any of the really cool professional stuff that you have done, let me let me pass it over to you and, and just give us a quick you know background on your personal life. Tell us about yourself, where you grew up, you know your family, just anything personally that you'd like us to, to know about. So uh, I grew up in a small town called Hamburg, New Jersey. It's five eighths of a mile in size. Like literally nothing happens there. Uh, we don't even have a grocery store. So like literally nothing happens here. My, uh, my dad uh, was somebody that I, I really admire and I've really looked up to. You know, he, he got up to the, to the minors in professional baseball, but didn't really go any, any further than that. And I've always kind of had a love for, for baseball and sports and things like that because, you know, because of him. But for me, I actually got my, my master's in, in ancient history. Um, believe it or not, I studied how the Roman emperor convinced people he was God and, and kind of the propaganda he used in order to do that. So I was the ultimate nerd. And I don't know how the heck I ended up in podcasting. It's, it's kind of interesting that I'm even here. I had an experience back when I was 24. So this is 2012, where my mom had a, a really bad stroke. And it made me look at a lot of the different things that I was doing in my life. I was teaching high school at that point in time. I wasn't very happy doing it. And I decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I didn't know what that meant. In fact, I had this false data on it that I thought it meant being lazy because I knew this guy that was an entrepreneur and he didn't do anything. So I thought for me, like, that's what I want to do, but I don't really, really know what that means. Tried a number of different things, uh, network marketing, life insurance, buying products from China, private labeling them and reselling them. And none of those things really worked out for me. Um, the thing that did work out was I had started working at a friend's marketing firm. I had taught myself how to build websites, started a podcast really just as a hobby. And it took off. We had 10,000 listens in our first month. And, you know, people started asking us for help. And that led to the, the PR agency I run today called Command Your Brand, where we have a team of 15. And uh, we're really trying to make a big impact in the world. Yeah, very cool. L let's talk about leading up into uh, where you are today with Command Your Brand. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I think it's really important context for, for people to understand. So correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe that, that the timeline was that you, you had this successful podcast and then maybe it might have disbanded and then a, maybe there's a breakup in a partnership and then you kind of reform things with your wife, I believe. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So yeah. talk to us. Talk to us a little bit about that and kind of how that led into like exactly what you guys are doing today. So we, we actually, the, the, the first stab at things for us was people started asking for help because I had a successful podcast. So we started a company that produced podcasts for people. Um, and my wife's been in the PR world for a really long time. And one of the things that made my show successful was getting on other podcasts and doing, you know, small local media and stuff like that. Um, so we built some successful shows and our clients like, well, this is great, but I'd rather just you know, focus on getting other podcasts. So we ended up connecting with another podcaster in Israel. We built a very successful company that in our first few months in business, we did multiple six figures. And um, the, the thing we ran into is we just had very different visions for where we wanted the company to go. And because of that, you know, within nine months, we had to figure out what the heck to do. And at that point in time, I ended up keeping all the staff we had hired I had to figure out how to pay them, first of all, because we didn't have any income. The income was just cut off. And basically, I took side work and whatever I could do to continue paying people in this transition while we figured out, you know, where does the business go from here? Um, are we legally done with the other business? Do we have to start a new LLC? And, you know, my wife had been a, a partner in that other business, but um, 
she wasn't really allowed to have the say that, that I was hoping for. And because of that, we decided, you know what, she's the brains behind this thing. We're, we're going to do this together and we're really going to make it work. And in 2017, we relaunched um, the company like we had as Command Your Brand. And, and I'll tell you what, guys, like, I don't know if you've seen this in your career. Running that first company never would have been what I created now because, you know, we focused on better processes. We focused on quality control, better hiring and, and all those things. And that just wasn't what I was doing before. So though it stinks and, and I learned a lot from that situation, it, it's allowed me to build the company we have today. Jeremy, with, with what you just shared, so, and, and we all, I, I completely agree with you in terms of learning from those failures and the windy road that makes a career. Is, yeah. is, there, is there one or two things that really stands out at you that you, you a key learning or something that you wish you would have been done different earlier in, in the process? I think one thing that you have to understand going into business partnerships, I think I kind of jumped into a partnership, not really knowing everything or, or really testing the waters or having the right agreements in place. And, and frankly, like if you don't have the right legal in place, it bites you in the butt, man. And that was one of the biggest things that I've learned. Um, you know, our contracts are better. Our, you know, how we work with clients is better because we understand the legal. And if you don't, you are so at effect of whatever can happen to you. Um, if you, you know, don't have your trademarks registered, if you don't know percentages and ownership and stuff like that, like you can be in a really rough position. So to me, understanding legal and having better contracts was a huge part of what I learned from that. I think the other thing as well is understanding like how your own purpose fits with what you're doing. I kind of at that point in time became like a chief operating officer, which I am not. Um, my wife is, she's extremely good at that. She's built a lot of our processes. She runs uh, several of the teams in our company. But for me, I'm a big vision person that wants to put things in place. And when you're not working in a part of a company where it fits your purpose, you're not very happy. So I think to me, those are the, the couple things I've learned. So Jeremy, um, tell us like, what, what do you guys do? Command your brand. What, what do you guys do? Who are you serving? Tell us about the business as it kind of lives and breathes today. So we are a PR agency for the podcast space. Um, you know, there's over 3.5 million podcasts out there. Um, and since 2016, we've been helping people to, you know, locate the right shows and be a guest on those. But at the same time, tell a better story. Because I think there's so many people that are like, oh, I just want to be on a podcast, but they don't show up as a great guest. And that is really, really vital to not only the show getting a ton out of having you on, but at the same time, you having a great experience and creating, creating that right branding and positioning. So that's really what we do at Command Your Brand, because I see that the direction things are going in terms of media is in this new media landscape we're in. It's, it's really driven by, you know, what the user wants, right? That's why, you know, we're, we're seeing users look at things like Netflix and, and uh, HBO Plus and all and, and, and podcasts and things like that, because they're able to actually supply the media people are looking for rather than, you know, I'm, I'm watching whatever's on TV because it's on. So I think we're really driving into that, that sphere of things now. And I think podcasting really puts us uh, at the precipice of that. Yeah, interesting. That, that's interesting uh, that you just mentioned Netflix. Actually, when I was driving to work this morning, I'm listening to the last chapter or two of this book by a, uh, a woman who is a exited one or two or three times entrepreneur, actually had started and sold a company in the financial services space for a very, very large <laughs> sum of money. 
And now she does mostly executive coaching. And she was talking about how, you know, the, the rise and fall of Blockbuster, mostly as a result of, you know, of Netflix. Mm-hmm. And she, she was talking about how, you know, Netflix, their original business model was they, if you guys remember this, they were mailing out DVDs. Yep, you'd have you to mail would, them back you, when you're done with them. Yeah, you'd mail them back. <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even remember that until I heard it again this morning. Yeah. And she talked about how Blockbuster essentially, whether they refused to or they uh, didn't think they needed to, whatever the case was, but they, they didn't adapt, they didn't evolve, they didn't innovate. And they probably didn't think that they needed to because they had they they had such a lion's share of that market. But mm-hmm. you know, obviously, uh, Netflix you know proved them wrong. But it was they, they took the consumer for granted, really. If you think about it, right? Like Blockbuster really took the consumer for granted because who needs to rent a movie for seven days? I don't know anyone that does, but Blockbuster did that, right? And they didn't really put the. the they had started a content streaming service, but you couldn't watch anything good. So it wasn't really valuable to the end user. Um, and, and Netflix was really good with building those relationships. So like they, they didn't put their user first and they really struggled because of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's yeah, interesting that you made that comment. Cause I was, yeah, just, lo- just listening to that. Sorry to blow up your spot, man. <laughs> no, it's all good. Jeremy. So one of your kind of like phrases, I guess, if you, if you will, is, is, unremarkable to extraordinary how to ignite your passion to go from passive of passive observer to the creator of your own life so certainly intriguing so tell us about where where did that originate and kind of what does that mean to you and how do you help people understand and implement that so that's actually the title of uh, my book coming out on june 21st um you know i've done almost a thousand interviews over the years and I think the thing that's really interesting is I think we're all essentially born unremarkable, but it's the things we do and how we carry ourselves and and the things that we apply that make us extraordinary. And I think so many people, they're just waiting for life to happen to them, right? They're complaining about, you know, what's happened to them and, you know, life dealt me this bad hand and whatever it may be and being extraordinary and, you know, and really working towards that. Frankly, it's a viewpoint. It's really a viewpoint of, okay, so this adversity has come to me. What is the thing I can learn for this? What is the thing I can get out of this? You know, what is the thing that um, I can really win with this? And I, and I think, for example, if you, if you really want to look at somebody that's extraordinary, um, you know, love him or hate him, Tom Brady is a great example of this. And you, because he's somebody that his entire career, he worked hard and showed up. And he didn't start until his senior year of, of high school barely started his senior year of college, you know, fighting against Drew Henson. And he's a sixth round draft pick that almost doesn't play in the NFL, but he continued to prepare and prepare and prepare because he knew his day would come. And someone that's extraordinary looks at life like that. They realize that there is hard work involved. There's pushing involved. There's growing involved. And they're not just waiting for it to happen to them. And uh, I, I like to call, you know, that experience a Mo Lewis moment because Mo Lewis actually hit Drew Henson, took him, or not Drew Henson, uh, the quarterback of, of New England there, my brain is suddenly fried. The, the Drew that was the quarterback of the Patriots at that point in time. Anyway, um, takes him out and he doesn't oh, play Bledsoe. again. Drew Bledsoe, thank you. Jesus, all, all the years with the Bills and then my brain suddenly not working. 
Drew takes out Drew Bledsoe, and then he doesn't play another down for the Patriots until that, that one playoff game. Tom Brady takes the reins and runs from there. You never know when that moment's going to come. You have no idea when that moment's going to come. But if you show up every single day and prepare, when that moment comes, you can take advantage. But there's so many people that don't look at life that way. And to me, that is one of the key components of being extraordinary, working towards it, right? I think when you're not being extraordinary is when you're not realizing this is an active process you do every single day of your life. You never arrive. You're always working towards getting there. So to me, that's, that's, that's really what that means. Jeremy, you, you, you've used the word so many times, story. And, and, mm-hmm. and clearly, the, and even research will show this. I mean, we as humans, stories last with us so much longer than just yes. pieces of things we read, data. I mean, you name it, stories are really what stick with us. And it's even how, we, how we've communicated as humans over time. I, I think to the, to the point you just brought up, and, and I think people think about the Tom Brady's and certainly looking at some of the folks you've interviewed on your podcast. I mean, David Petraeus, you know, Danica Patrick, people that have amazing stories. For, you know, for, for many of our listeners or even, I mean, I have a client, he tells me this all the time. We sell something nobody knows exists. It's not a sexy business. It's not an exciting business. We get up and do what we do every day. Mm-hmm. There, there's a subset of people out there that, that doesn't think their story is all that interesting. And, and mm-hmm. there's so much content out there. What do you say to that person who, who doesn't, doesn't think there's anything that extraordinary about them, doesn't have any you know, huge pivotal moment to share or a, or a massive learning or a, a massive adversity or experience they went through? What do you, what do you tell that kind of person? Ryan, there are so many ways we can go with that, man. Um, like the first thing I would say to that, to that client is, um, I'm sure what you do isn't interesting, but man, it's probably really easy to differentiate because it isn't interesting. And I think that's something to think about too, is there's always a different way you can do things and a different way to differentiate. And frankly, some of those businesses that aren't interesting, there is a ton of money in because, and I think that's something you have to think about as well. From that perspective, you have to understand that there's always somebody that is in the same point in your life that you either are in or were in. And that story you have is going to communicate to them because you, you brought up the idea of like stories are something we've had forever. They're innately human. And there is someone out there on a human level that can connect with what you have to say. They might have to be in the same industry. They might have to be in the same life experience, but a story you have had in your life may affect them and may connect with them. And it creates this idea of reality. And that reality can create two things. It can create the change that that person needed or um, it can also create opinion leader status for you in that person's mind. And now, next time that they need somebody in a very boring area of business, you're their guy. And I think that's what it's really about is realizing that what you have to say matters to someone. And frankly, you're being selfish by not getting it out there. So I, so I take from that that there's, there's two parts to that if, if, I, if I'm hearing you correctly. And I think mm-hmm. one is telling the story and figuring out how to do that in the best way possible. But the second yep. piece of it is finding the right audience. Yes. Well, it's vital. And I think, cause I think one of the areas that a lot of people mess up, and this is something we get somebody, you know, talking to us about becoming a client, they'll say, Hey, my audience is everyone. I'm like, can we niche that down? Cause if we can't, you should probably work with someone else because the, the thing is you really need to be specific about how you, who you help and how you help them. And when you're telling a story, it's the same thing because sure you can help more people later on and you can go broader but you have to focus on your niche market and you have to focus on the people that need what you're talking about because number one, you have more reality for them. Number two, it's going to be much easier to stand out because it's a smaller swimming pool. And you know, number three, you can grow from there, but you have to start somewhere. Too many people say my audience is everyone and you're just not going to succeed. Your audience has to be you know, the people you want to reach and then you can grow from there, but you have to start somewhere. So there's, there's two 
former guests of the show that, that come into my mind just to kind of um, give a couple of examples of what you guys were just talking about. Mm-hmm. One of them was CPR construction cleaning, right? And then the other one was uh, uh, JJ Levensky and his company, uh, Blue Wave. So Blue Wave, they are, um, you know, they're a general contractor, right? So, you know, you think construction, right? How, you know, exciting or, or sexy can, you know, construction be? And how do you tell a story within that? But I can tell you that um, both of them have done a phenomenal job uh, of doing exactly that through social mm-hmm. media. You know, JJ has these drones that go up over the projects and they, they have these incredible, you know, views of the different parts of the of the process. And then the, you know, CPR construction cleaning, uh, you know, Karina is one of the co-founders. And what she has done, which is really unique, is she's built up this massive following more on the personal side, but she's been able to translate that over to business. So those were just uh, two examples that came to mind as you guys were kind of talking about that. But but I agree, every every single human being walking this planet has truly unique and different and, and special stories and circumstances. And sometimes they need somebody like a Jeremy just to help kind of extract that, but also to figure out how to get that out in a way that makes sense kind of from mm-hmm. a comprehensive standpoint. Well, and I, and I think when you're, when you're thinking about it, like, you know, this, this sounds a little jaded, but when you're thinking about like the right stories to tell, you also have to think about the result that you want as well. Too many people are like, oh, I can just tell a great story, but if it doesn't, you know, create reality or bring more interest in your business, it might not be the right story. So you have to also think about, you know, where you want to go with it. Like, to me, you're talking about construction. I think to do social media content and be a builder would be such a cool way to actually do things. Because think about that. You could talk, you don't have to use their names, obviously, because people want privacy, but you could tell stories about the people you're building homes for and why you're building them a certain way. You know, we actually built this custom staircase because, you know, they have four kids and they wanted a big custom staircase to walk down on Christmas morning when the tree is actually right over there. Like there's some really cool stories that like a construction company or a custom builder could tell um, that are relatable and people can get that. And they'd be like, man, I need to hire this guy because I need a custom staircase that goes down to the Christmas tree down there in the the morning and my kids want to see it. So there's so many ways you can communicate and make that real. It doesn't matter that if you think the business is boring. Here's another thing as well. YouTube videos by companies like that showing people how they do certain things. I, I've learned how to create and build so many things. Like I, I fixed a whole bunch of things in my barn by watching YouTube videos. You actually are creating, it's a story. It's in a different way because it's teaching, but you're creating more of that leader, uh, that leader persona by people going, being able to go out, find information from you and apply it. Now, next time they need help, they're going to remember you. They're either going to tell somebody else about you or they're going to hire you. So there's so many different ways you should be thinking with how can I educate and how can I tell a great story? Yeah, well, perfect, perfect segue into my next question. <laughs> what you guys do, right, is is you you help to get people on on podcasts, on the right podcast. You help them to tell, you know, a great story. And um, earlier you mentioned, you know, one of the things that you learn in business with with a lot of, you know, from the help of your wife is is having good, you know, processes in place. 
So you mentioned the the brand growth podcast blueprint. Talk to us a little bit about you know what that is and why people should should care about it if they're involved in or want to be involved in the the podcasting world. Well, here here's the thing to think about is we've talked a lot about niche audiences. We've talked a lot about communicating to the right people. And you guys know this as, as well as I do being in the podcast world. You can really niche down to the right people and be the education source for those people. Um, like we had a client one time that she was an interior designer and she was like, you know, I can't really stand out being an interior designer. It's not high fashion. I'm not like, you know, one of these other things. So she actually started to, to tilt her business towards helping people or, you know, helping people help their parents when they got to a certain age that they needed to redesign their home. So it still looked aesthetic, but it was more useful for them because they don't get around as well. So that there's so many different ways that you can really reach the right people through the podcast world. And to me, that's where you can start out small. You can connect with people that are leaders in your field if you're going to be interviewing them. And that's why I really feel that having an interview podcast is really the best way to do it because you can connect with people that are leaders in your industry and it's going to help your branding positioning, right? Positioning, uh, there's a great book called Positioning the Battle for Your Mind by Al Rees. I think it was written in the 70s, but it's an incredible book about positioning. And positioning is, you know, what you're seen as for or against, and you're picking something established people already know about. So here's an example of that. And I hate this one, but it's a simple one, so everybody will understand it. We're the Uber of blank. Well, you're positioning yourself with Uber, right? You're, you're saying we're like Uber. So positioning, you're able to actually do this through the people you interview. Right. So if you're interviewing, you know, somebody that's big in the sales world, if you're interviewing somebody that's a billionaire or something like that, and you interview that person, well, now you're seen with them. You've created some positioning for yourself because you're seen with that person. Um, that could also be like if you're seeing news topics and you're talking about how you don't like them, that's also positioning. So you can create some incredible positioning in the podcast world in long form content. So there's so many different ways you can do this. If you pick a niche, start small, find who the opinion leaders are in your space interview them and also create your own short form content as part of that. And it really allows people to know you like you and trust you. And that is the thing that is missing in so many businesses. Because if you look at the, the, the way I see the business world, and this, this is super basic, but the way I see the business world is sales, marketing, public relations. If you're not selling anything, something's wrong with marketing. If marketing's not converting, something's wrong with public relations and vice versa. So if you get those things in place, everything else you do is better and people know you like you and trust you and the right people know you like you and trust you. So Jeremy, you just brought up a very a very interesting topic in, in, <laughs> in PR marketing and sales. And I think, you know, certainly in, in, in the main street type businesses that, that we come across every day, and I know Austin and Landon do as well, I think there's a lot of confusion between those terms and sometimes mm -hmm. they're interused. You know, sometimes people think that PR is marketing or vice versa. How do you define it and, and maybe give us, you know, from someone who's an expert in the space, a little bit of a sense of maybe for our audience, how should we really look at it? Where are some of the lines understanding there's some gray area? Mm -hmm. um, what, what can you illuminate for us there? And I really, really appreciate that because everybody thinks PR and marketing are the same thing. And when you don't have one, you realize that they're not the same thing. Um, so PR is like creating that no like, and trust factor. So public, public relations in this case, public is a type of audience, right? So your public may be realtors, your public may be, you know, financial professionals, whoever it is, that's your public and that's who you're trying to communicate to. So what you're actually trying to do is create trust with that group. Marketing is you're actually marketing the public relations pieces you've created. So those are newspaper articles, those are um, events you're doing, whatever. 
And it's actually something that can be more of a paid action a lot of times. Marketing itself is an act of promotion, whereas public relations is an action of creating trust with the right market. So once you have trust, you can actually market more successfully to create better converting sales. So I know that's a super basic way of getting about it, but public relations is something everybody should be doing. And a lot of people, they don't start small on a basic level. Being a, being a small business, it's actually easier to get PR than it is in any other sphere because frankly, there, there's a way to go about it where there's less competition. So I call it the small pond strategy where everybody's a big fish in a small pond somewhere. Um, I mentioned in the beginning, I grew up in a small town. It's five eighths of my own size. Nothing happens there. So when we actually wrote a, a press release, sent it to the local weekly that went to every house on a Thursday in my county, they would print it without changing anything. Now, people have a misunderstanding that they think a, a press release is a media piece itself. It can be, but really it's a tool you actually use to get other media. And when that hit the paper, that's how I got some of my first TV appearances, is how I got other interviews for news articles, is how I got in some magazines. But you want to look where you are the, the big fish in a small pond somewhere. It could be your town, could be your rotary club, it could be an organization you're in, whatever that is. Getting some of those small, basic public relations pieces are going to, number one, make people know you like and trust you. Number two, give you pieces you can now market, like you can send to your list, like, hey, check out this, this um, you know, piece that was out there about me. Um, and number two, it's going to make your marketing more successful because now it's not going to take as much effort to make somebody trust you. There's, there, there's clearly a formula to it. And I'm guessing mm -hmm. that formula differs by business, but it again, does for, for those businesses out there, how, how should they think about that or how to approach it? Because clearly you've laid out, you need all three. Here's what mm -hmm. all three are. How would you, if you're sitting across the table from a business owner and helping them process through that, and even just again, with so much of this, where to start, Yeah, what would you tell them? Well, I think the first thing is finding out what's newsworthy about what you do, because too many people say, oh, well, I'm in business. <laughs> I want some PR. Well, that's great. You know, what's newsworthy about what you do? Are you a veteran? Do you use a specific type of process in your business that other businesses may not use? Are you organic? Whatever it is, like there's something about your business that's interesting and different. That's what's called newsworthy. And the thing I always ask myself is, why should I care? If I can't answer why should I care and there's no answer to that, it's probably not newsworthy. You know, new business opens a lot of time isn't that newsworthy. But if there's something unique and special about it, you know, like Purple Heart recipient opens new business. Well, that's kind of interesting, right? There's, a, there, there's, there's something about that that's newsworthy. And then um, there's a great article by HubSpot. If you Google the words um, how to write a press release and whatever year you're listening to this in, if you're hearing this in 2022, so how to write a press release in 2022, they update it every single year. And they've been doing it since I can remember back in 2017. So when you learn how to write a press release, you actually write that through what is newsworthy. And then you, you make a list of all of your small media sources and you actually send out that release to them. And that's going to be kind of the best way to get started. So you can, you know, kind of level up as you continue to go through that, but that's really the best way to get started. And once you get a few of those pieces under your belt, you can start with smaller podcasts and things like that. But it all starts with why should people care? And if you can answer that question, you can move on from there. But if you can't answer that question, you got a lot more thinking to do. Yeah, interesting lens to look at it through. And we'll, we'll, we're going to take a break here in a second. But just before we do, Jeremy, let's just get a little bit more specific on that. So if mm -hmm. you're consulting with a business owner and you're kind of taking them through your process and you're helping them to, to understand the importance of those, of those three parts of the process, you know, sales, mm -hmm. marketing, and PR, and they say to you, okay, great, I, I see the value in them, but 
how do I allocate time and resources and money to each of these three so that I've got a well put together plan? And I guess this is because I come from a public relations world, but I always think PR should be the first thing you do. Because, you know, early on, you can do it cheap and you can do it, you know, just boots on the ground, however much work you're willing to do. But I, I really think it should be the first thing you do. Um, and then a good percentage should be going to marketing. And then you need the right salespeople moving on it. Like, I find so many businesses, especially small businesses, they don't expand because they actually don't hire people to run their sales. They try to run their sales themselves. And you can do that early on and you should do it early on to understand how those processes work. But once you build a process, you find somebody else to take it over. So I think it's really hard to kind of give a, an exact answer on that because every business is so different, but PR really should be the first thing you do. And then you should be trying to replace yourself in each one of those areas. By replace yourself, I mean like write up everything you did exactly. Um, I, we usually use Google Docs for that. And then we do a, a screen recording too. Find somebody else to do it, then move on to the next area, establish that, move on to the next area, establish that. And then once you do that, you can actually be running a real business. But too many people are running something where if they aren't doing those things in the area, the area doesn't run. And, and that's really a problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's you know, funny that you, you mentioned that because our other partner of the show is Pivotal Advisors. Mm -hmm. And what makes them really unique is they train the sales leader and the sales folks for organizations, but they, they're soup to nuts. So they don't just come in and train your salespeople. You know, they make sure that you, they've got the right salespeople that are leading the team and they train them. They help them to build out, you know, their process. They train the salespeople, you know, they, they, uh, they hold them accountable on the back end. So they've got this really comprehensive sales process. But that, that's one of the reasons that we were really excited to bring on Pivotal Advisors as one of the partners to the show, because we know that that is such an important element to small businesses and really a lot of them just kind of get it wrong. So anyway, appreciate you mentioning that. Well, All that's right. a big problem too, because like, I, I think of like friends that I've known in the marketing world for a long time, they, they, they learn, they run a marketing firm, but they also do the sales. And here's the problem. Like if, if you have to do the sales and the marketing and marketing is what you sell, you're only gonna be selling as, as much as you can actually produce. And that's a problem you're never going to solve unless you can, you know, like you were talking about, put somebody else there to actually sell for you. Yep, absolutely. Yep, good point. All right, um, Jeremy, we're going to take a quick break for a uh, call to action, and then we'll jump right back into things. Hey there, tycoons. Austin Peterson here, co-host of Tycoons of Small Biz. If you think you have what it takes to be considered a tycoon and you're wondering how you could become a featured guest, please follow and then message us at Tycoons of Small Biz on LinkedIn. We'd love to have a conversation with you to see if it is a mutually good fit. And if so, we'll get you scheduled for an interview. If you're unsure about being a guest on our podcast, but are contemplating selling your business over the next few years, and you'd like to know what your business is worth, please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you. And thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now back to today's program. Welcome back, Tycoons. We are here with Jeremy Slate, Command Your Brand, having a really insightful conversation around PR, sales, marketing, using podcasting to, to really grow your presence, to uh, build trust and, and authority. And that's what I want to talk about next, Jeremy, is becoming that, 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 that authority, that, that trusted 
person in your industry, that person that people really, you know, look up to for guidance or advice or, you know, sharing best practices, you know, et cetera. So talk to us about how do you help, you know, your clients, you know, achieve that? Well, it's really first and foremost, there's a mindset shift that has to happen. And that's the idea of you have to become the educator in your space. Because if you become the person people know for education, that is the key to becoming the name in your space. But far too often, um, especially in content they create, people are, are short-sighted from the perspective of they're always sending people to another YouTube video or another landing page or whatever. whatever. And, and that's the thing about the podcast world is you have to show up as somebody that's really valuable and willing to educate. Tell as much as you can. Obviously, don't try to confuse people because I think there's people that do that and that could be too much. But tell everything you know about what you're doing so you can really educate people. And when you educate, that is the key to trust. If you become a core educator in what you do, that's going to be vital to becoming that go-to in your space. But you have to get over the idea of someone's going to steal my idea or they're going to do what I do, whatever it may be. That's not the case. You know, if, and if somebody does, you know, more power to them because they've, they've got some kind of get up and go in them that a lot of people don't have. But 90% of people aren't going to do that. They're going to listen to what you have to talk about. They're going to say, wow, Ryan really knows what he's talking about. I need to go give him some money because obviously um, he's the person to help me. Or, you know, Landon really knows what he's talking about. I should just go give him some money. And I think when you create that trust, that's how you become the go-to in your space, to become the core educator in what you do on podcasts, on stage speaking, through writing, whatever it is, but you have to become the core educator in your space. And that is the real key to becoming the go-to. That's an interesting point. And I, and I love that, that term education because I, I really think to be lasting and sustainable, if you're not mm -hmm. educating the market, it's, it's going to be short-lived. And, yeah. and so really having that meeting of the minds to, to conduct a transaction and so there's value on both sides. When thinking about it, and, and not so much, I'm, I'm sure it does differ in terms of a time frame, and that's not the right right way to think about it, but education does take time. And yes. so for those businesses that are trying to figure out how we educate the market, how do you how do you paint that roadmap for them? Or what does that look like? Because it's not all of a sudden they're just going to spew a bunch mm -hmm. of content and it's going to happen overnight. Some it may be a very long time, some it may be shorter, but just What's the mindset that, that someone needs to be in when they're considering that? Because let, let's be real, we live in a society of instant gratification as well. We expect results right away. That's not going to happen. How do you, how do you coach those, those types? Well, the, the thing I like to tell people, and you know, obviously you have to have some sales on your belt to be able to do this, but you take a look at all the sales calls you have and all the sales appointments you have and the, the um, proposals and things like that you put together. What are your biggest objections that you get? Because those objections are just a lack of education. So when you look at that, make a list of those things and those are the areas you're going to do content on. What are the biggest objections you get in sales conversations? And here's one as well. Like I talked to a guy yesterday, very cool business. Uh, he's actually in Arizona. Um, and what they actually do is he's an auto broker that actually like helps like buy cars from dealers. I didn't even know that existed. And I think for a lot of people, you're not just battling the education of what are the objections you get, but you're also battling the obscurity of what you do. So you have to talk about what you do, why you do it, why it matters, how it helps, and those objections. If you can focus on those things, those are the first education points you should focus on. And the more you do it, the more of an audience you build, the more interaction you get, you're going to get more questions. You're going to get more things people care about. Your audience is going to tell you what they need to know. 
but start with your sales objections and start with what does your business do? Because for a lot of people, they don't know that. Um, like in the financial industry, especially because like let's most Americans, they don't get a basic finance class. They don't understand how you balance a checkbook. They don't understand what an IRA is. So you really should start with what are the basic things people need to know um, about what you do because a better educated consumer is a better educated buyer. And that's what you really have to look at. A lot of small businesses out there, let's be honest, their, their competition is, is much larger. So maybe yes. it is something that people know about, maybe it's not. But I mean, you know, I know we have clients doing 10, 15 million in revenue. They're competing with multi-billion dollar companies. There's a, there's an element of fear in that and in, in, in telling the story and how you make that stand out or are there some things you've seen that were, were literally the David versus Goliath are there are there a few tips out there you might share on how that David can win well you have to think about what makes you different right because you talk about there's so many people doing the same thing and a lot of times if you and it's it's the problem with what happened like with Xerox right um, people forgot what, the, what a copy machine was and everything became a Xerox because they were the first to market. So people think of that. So you have to think about what is so unique that you can promote yourself. Because if you don't stand out, you promote all the other businesses in your space. So you have to think about what is unique. And for a lot of businesses right now in this world of personal branding, it's the founder. It's the founder story that people can, can connect with. And that's one of the biggest things that we do is we work with founders, CEOs, and people in that area because that is what you can make a brand stand out is that person's story, that person's ability, that person's life experience. So a lot of times your competitors aren't going to have that. You know, you look at um, like a company like 1-800-GOT-JUNK and they're so successful because people love Brian Scudamore's story, you know, puts together a van when he's in college and he's throwing junk in a van. That's pretty cool. Like, you know, any one of us could have done that, but he did it and he built it into a you know, multi, multi-million dollar business. So those stories are the way you differentiate because if you don't differentiate, you blend in. And when you blend in, you're just promoting what, you know, everybody else in your space and not yourself. You have to differentiate and you can do it with your story. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is one of the huge challenges that uh, my business partner and I are presented with because in the world that we that we live in, you know, professionally, it's very difficult to differentiate, you know, what, what you do. I think there's 350,000 people in the United States that call themselves, I'm using air quotes here, financial advisors. Now there are certain regulatory restrictions and some things that are out of mm -hmm. our control, Yep. but yeah, very difficult to differentiate yourself. And we've actually been going through an exercise, which has been really interesting because we see the value in everything that you've talked about today, Jeremy. And I, I think, I mean, I, I agree with essentially everything that you have said. And I think it's, I think it's really valuable for every small business to consider, mm -hmm. but before we wanted to embark on that journey, we needed to have our foundation built. Yep. Right. And what I, what I mean by that is who are we? Who do we serve? What do we stand for? What are our values? How do we want to approach the market? What's our tone of voice? That was a really interesting exercise that we went through mm -hmm. with this, with our, our marketing consultant was we talked about the tone of voice that we want to convey. And she kind of made us select where we, we would see ourselves on this sliding scale. And one end was, you know, really 
brash and in your face and not afraid to swear. And then the other side is very, very conservative. Don't want to offend anybody. We kind of fell like in the middle, you know, which it was just a really interesting exercise. But the, the point of me mentioning this is that I, I believe that before you you go out and you start to embark on this kind of journey, you got to make sure you've done that basic foundational stuff so that mm-hmm. you know who you want to talk to and, and what you're going to say and what your approach is and what tone of voice you're going to say and all that. So I don't know if you have any thoughts around that, but that's no, what I, I've been thinking about. I, I do. And there was, there was one thing that really came to mind for me on that. Like number one, financial services, oof, the dreaded compliance department. I get it. Like we've, we've worked with a lot of people in financial services where we'll put together marketing materials and we have to wait a month and a half for them to come back. So I get it. The other part of that is as well is, you know, really getting clear, as you mentioned on like how you talk about things, what you talk about, what your voice is. It's very hard to promote in financial services. And I get that. Like we have, you know, I have a good friend that what he's actually done is is the main thing they talk about is building wealth through like whole life insurance and how you can do that. So he just talks about every single thing you would ever want to know about whole life insurance. He talks about historical figures that have something to do with it. So like you just, when you, when you have to deal with things like compliance and things like that, you've got to figure out how you can make things real to people without making a financial advice, which can be really hard. So you can explain things in the economy. You can explain different things that are happening. And just becoming the education in a different way so that you're at least stability for people. Um, and, and, and that's kind of my thought processes on that is really finding your voice, but also finding out at the same time, like what works, because you have to make sure you're not putting yourself in legal trouble, too. And that's that's one of the that's one of the beautiful things about podcasting is that when you're really clear on what your objectives are from from the get go, you know, it, it lends to the experience that you want to create. Because when we started the podcast, our goal, Jeremy, w- was not to build this massive listenership, right? Mm-hmm. Our, goal, our goal was twofold. We wanted to create you know, a, a great platform for small businesses to come on, to, to tell their personal and their business stories, to help them get the word out. I think we do a pretty dang good job of pre-show marketing having them on the show. And then we do quite a bit of post-show marketing as well to really help give them some, some good exposure. And we do not charge a dime for that. But the second part of that is that the folks that we're having come on the show are typically people that we are very interested in working with one-on-one in our, in our day job. So it, Mm -hmm. it it has that, that, that multi effect where we, are accomplishing something great and meaningful and creating a good experience for the people that come onto the show. But it also gives us an opportunity to shake hands, whether physically or virtually get to know someone, you know, build some rapport and then, you know, see if there's an opportunity to serve them in what we do in our day jobs, you know? So it's, it's kind of, that's, what's really unique about podcasting is that there's a lot of different approaches that you can take with it. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's, you know, uh, uh, Grant Cardone always likes to talk about there, there's 7 billion people in the world and my mission stops when I've shaked the, the hand of every single one of them. And it's, it's the same thing, man. Like people have to know you, they have to like you and they have to trust you so they can work with you. And, you know, the more people you can speak to, the more people you can become friends with, you know, and it's just generally the more successful you're going to be. It's just, it's just what it comes down to. Jeremy, I, w- I want to switch gears for a minute. And, and, and this has been amazing. I mean, just so many, you know, we, we like to talk about value or knowledge bombs on this show, and you've dropped many uh, that I think, you know, I'm going to go back and listen to this probably three or four <laughs> times over. 
but but for you and, and one of the fun parts too is I mean Landon myself we're, we're entrepreneurs that sort of entrepreneurs and so we've had our own journey and you know curious just to to talk a little bit more on yours and just the growth that you've had with your company but was there a was there a point was there a moment being a storyteller too that you look back on and say okay maybe you looked at your wife across the table or she did to you and said this is actually going to work we've actually got something especially given some of the failures that had led up to that is is there a point that or a story that's worth telling? I don't know if there's a point or a story. It's more of a phrase. Um, my, my, you know, like when you run a business, especially with your spouse, like a lot of things depend on, you know, how well the business is doing. And, you know, we've had our stressful times, you know, since we started this business and we bought a home and we've done all these different things. And we, we, we've found this thing that happens when things get a little rough. We look at each other and we go, but did we die? <laughs> and you know it's it's kind of this funny thing that it's like it's a little comical but it makes you take things a little lightly and i think that's one of the biggest lessons that i've learned is there's going to be losses right if you let the losses stack up that's going to crush you but it's when you can you know acknowledge the losses are there and learn from them but really appreciate the wins and you know kind of be a little insouciant sometimes it's it's a good thing and and for us it's it's always asking each other well it looked bad, but but did we die? No, we didn't. I wish I had a better story for you than that one, but that's for me, that's really been a, a kind of a, a personal inside joke we've had is, you know, sometimes things go rough. Uh, you know, you have to handle a situation with a key employee or, you know, somebody leaves or we had an issue a couple of years ago where Google ads changed and, and we had to redo our whole strategy with it. Things happen, but, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you figure it out and, and did you die? If you didn't die, you're in good shape. <laughs> so it it sounds like, and, and again, a lot of businesses out there are husband and wife teams. Um, yeah, you know, and, and so you've clearly found a, a rhythm, a, a, you know, a way to work through that, and make that work because it is challenging, and it's not for everybody out there. Is mm -hmm. is there a lesson or two that you might share? Maybe maybe you know a, a couple that's just starting out and starting their own business, and and a few years behind you. What what would you tell them that that has worked? Well, just on a basic like living your life thing, um, we have a joint Google Calendar. So we give each other calendar invites depending on like what meetings we have, what's happening in our life. And just for like managing our life has been amazing. Um, but the other thing I would say is really understand what you're good at and run in your own lane. My wife is incredible at running operations and establishing things. So I just let her do that and I stay out of her way. Um, you know, I'm great with running the sales team. I'm great with creating content. I'm great with running the marketing team. So I just focus on those things and she stays out of my way. And I think when you can do that, and really just let somebody, you know, control their area. Number one, you're going to butt heads less. And number two, you're going to work in what you're good at. And I think that's just really, really important. And it's worked well for us. I don't know if it can work well for everybody, but it's worked well for us. Great advice. Yeah. Doing what you're good at, Jeremy, obviously you and your wife have that figured out because you guys have realized some very significant growth over the last uh, you know, I don't know, maybe one to two years, I, I believe. Um, I, I think upwards of, you know, 70%, especially when we were kind of going through a, a very interesting, challenging time in our, mm -hmm. in our the, the history of the world the last two years. But uh, talk to us about how did you realize this, this growth? And then, you know, just kind of let that let that naturally lead into where, where are you guys going, you know, in, in the future? Last two years, isn't it still 2019? Did, did I miss something? You know, really for us, I think the biggest, we, we, we grew by 66% last year over 70 or, or two years ago, over 70% last year. And the thing that we've really done 
is the opposite of what everyone else does, right? So when when the the whole pandemic thing first hit, I looked at that as an opportunity. I'm like, great, there's going to be a lot of people out of work that I couldn't have hired before, and now I can hire them. So we went on a hiring spree because I knew like there was going to be great people that are looking for a remote job that I could get a hold of that weren't looking for a job before. You know, the other thing was, okay, so what else is a great opportunity in this? We looked at building better processes. We worked at putting in a better quality control process. Like we created this, this uh, system we have for clients now that we do at the end of a contract we didn't do before. It's called the value analysis. And we figured out a formula to look at the total reach of all the shows they do in their agreement versus advertising rates. And we can now give them a dollar value on that. And that's created an incredible way we can end a contract. So we're always looking at how can we make this better? How can we improve? And how can we write up policy? Because so many businesses have something happen. It's a negative experience. It's a positive experience. They haven't documented it. So they don't know what to do when it happens again or know how to prevent it from happening again. So we focused on writing better processes, writing better company training. Um, all, every single one of our employees is on training every week. They're always training on something. And if you're focusing on that, if you're focusing on hiring the right people, like that's a big deal. And that's how we've grown is by focusing on hiring when other people aren't, focusing on writing processes when other people are worried about, you know, what's going on in the world out there. And, and frankly, that's what's helped us grow. Yeah, we, we not, not so much by design, but uh, one of the effects of, of COVID was obviously we're all, you know, for 12, 18, 24 months, we're, we're working primarily, you know, remotely. And again, I, I can't say it was by design, but it, because it, because it wasn't, but it, it happened to coincide with when we launched the podcast. Mm -hmm. which has now allowed us to be, you know, working with and bringing on clients from West Coast to East Coast. And before, you know, uh, the pandemic, you could do that, but, but how, right? How, how would you be reaching people like that? And are they going to be willing to, you know, write you a check to engage you without ever having to, you know, met you face to face? And, I think the answer was, I don't know, maybe some people probably would have, but not, not a ton, but now it's kind of a normal business practice. Mm -hmm. So there was definitely some luck involved in, you know, we, you know, we had our first show on, you know, on Cinco de Mayo 2020, which was four to six weeks after the world shut down. So that the timing there was great, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't so much by design as much as I'd like to think, you know, as much as I'd like to say that it was. But but that's um, an example of being extraordinary, Landon. It's an example of like looking at something and saying, OK, this is a, a, a bad situation, right? Like things are not good. What is my opportunity in this? What can I what can I create from this negativity? Because there's something like you look at like telemedicine. That's an industry that doesn't exist. It was actually, frankly, it was illegal before. So the, the regulation got removed and now there's telemedicine all over the country and there's people that are like, I don't need a practice. I just talk to people on the phone. I really hope they don't bring that regulation back. So at the same time, being extraordinary is recognizing there's a situation and there's still an opportunity in it. It's up to you to find it. And, and you guys did that. Absolutely. Well, Jeremy, um, I, I can say this has been a really enjoyable conversation. I know that I have learned a lot and uh, excited to continue to follow your journey and your ongoing success, as I have no doubt uh, there will be much more of that. So thank you for coming on. I'll pass it over to Ryan just to kind of close us out. But uh, yeah, thanks for joining us, Jeremy. Really appreciate it, man. Hey, thanks so much for having me, man.
Yeah, J Jeremy, that was that was incredible. And uh, to echo what Landon said, uh, you can't wait to see what other stories out there that are going to be told that you're going to have a part in. So uh, definitely someone that we'll be we'll be keeping close tabs on and uh, can't thank you enough for the conversation today. Absolutely. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Las Vegas, Nevada, and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin, Landon, and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.